As, as you're finding your seats, you can go ahead and go ahead and get your Bibles to the book of, of Habakkuk. There'll be, be a price for the first, first, first to find it. Um, there's no shame in using the table of contents. That's exactly what I would do. If you don't have a Bible, there should be a black, black hardback somewhere around, around you. Also, if you can't find it, it'll be on the screen as well. It's a ultimate book between Nahum and Zephaniah, if that helps. So, Habakkuk chapter 3. We're going to finish up our, our prayer this morning, and we're going to talk, talk a little bit about what does it mean to trust God in the midst of the process. And to kind of set the stage, I want to give a, qu- a quote from ren- renowned 20th, 20th century theologian Garth Brooks. All right. He wrote, wrote a song called Unans- Unanswered Prayer. If you know it, you can, can sing along. Sometimes I thank God. For unanswered prayers. Remember when you're talking to the man upstairs that just because he don't answer don't mean he don't care because some of God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayers, right? Um, that song, right, was 1991, took the world by storm form from everyone from middle-aged couples also all the way down to middle school dances. Um, everyone Theologically speaking, tip tip their hat. The idea, yeah, maybe God actually knows more about relationships than we do, right? I mean, basically, what he was saying is, is if God answered everybody's middle middle squares, they would all be all be married to, um, like like Trent and Lacey, they would be married to their high school sweetheart, right? It works out some, sometimes, right? But um, more than being just a good slow dance song, right? Unanswered prayers touches on on a very sensitive topic for us. If there is one major reason that, that people not pray, it's not primarily um, and how do I pray kind of issue. It's the fact that, that you've tried try, pray, you've trusted God, and things didn't turn out the way that you, you thought. And so what we're, what we're going to about today as we kind of round the corner and finish this series is, is what does it look, look like to God in the, in the middle of the process? How, how do we look to Him in things that are, are far bigger than we are? We, are? How do we trust Him in things that have, that have disappointed us? How do we trust Him in things that have not, not worked the way that, that we want them to? So over the last several weeks, we've been working our way through this prayer paradigm, P-R-A-Y. And the first week, we looked at pause, pause to become aware of, of who God is and quieting our soul, souls and have a necessary movement in prayer. And then the second week, we looked at what does it mean to rejoice and to, to find faith in this God who is with us and for us. And last, last, this room was turned into an altar where, the, where there were people asking and seeking and knocking and praying for God to do things. And, you know, this, this is an amazing idea that, that God actually responds to and answers our prayers. And this week we look at what does it mean to yield and, and to trust God in the midst of, of the process. And to, to do that, we're going to turn to the, the Old Testament book of Habakkuk. You may not be familiar with this little story, but it is this, this story about a prophet, prophet who's coming into contact with the character of God. And what he's 
asking for is an explanation of the world that, that does make sense, that, that he finds himself a part of. And God takes him on a journey that makes him say at the end of his life, regardless of things that I see and regardless of the things that I feel, I'm going to place my trust and my hope in God. And we're going we're gonna to read about that in Habakkuk chapter 3. I'm going to read verses 7, 17 through 19. But we're really going to touch on the, on the entire book this morning. So if you have your Bibles open to Habakkuk chapter 3 and you're able, would, would you stand with me? And we stand and just draw attention to God's Word because these words are our authoritative, inerrant standard for our lives and practice. We're pl- placed ourselves under God's Word. Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 17. This is, this is the lesson that he, he learned. Though the fig tree should not blossom, blo- nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields eat no, no food. The fl- flock be cut from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. And I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places to the choir master with instruments. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, you may be seated. Let's pray. Father, so much now we want to come to a place of rest and trust, faith in who you are in the midst of whatever we are going through. We thank you that you give us tangible pictures of of what it means to trust you. And I thank you for this book of Habakkuk that shows us what it means to to trust you even when life doesn't make sense, when it seems like evil is in the day. So I pray for all of us here that those those places don't make sense sense for us, that you would shed light on and that you would come in and that you would sustain and that you would answer and that you would would respond to, to our prayers. And we collectively, as your people, rejoice in who you all are and what you've done because you are trustworthy. It's in this name we pray. Amen. So I love this little book. Actually, I remember when I was studying kind of in seminary, one of the first sermons I ever did was just on on the little book. I've always loved the Old Testament, Testament minor prophets because... Um, sure, you know, I mean, there's one thing to try to jump into the book of Isaiah that's 66 chapters. There's not quite another thing to get, to get into a back, just three chap- chapters, which also can kind of follow the flow and the, and the art. And this is just a beautiful story of, of what it means to not lose his heart in prayer. Like, like this is the most important lesson of all the ones that we're going through because it's so easy, easy living in a broke, broken and a fallen and a sinful world to lose heart. Habakkuk is... A case study of how not to lose heart and not, not give up in the, in the midst of prayer. And it begins in chapter 1 with Habakkuk basically praying for, for revival for his people. Um, at least the last, the last years, his people have been oppressed by, by the Assyrians. And he's basically saying, God, I need you to, you to break in right here, here right, right now. Right outside, outside door, there are people that are trampling on purposes and on your promises. And, and what he expects to, he to hear is that, yes, I'm going to deliver my people. But the answer that he got could not surprise him more. He basically said, 
things are going to get a lot worse before they get better. There's a nation that I'm rising, that I'm, that I'm raising up called, called the Babylonians. And they're going to they're come over and they are going to take out the Assyrians, but, but their rule is actually going to be worse than the Assyrians, right? Have you ever been in that, in that place where you're praying, praying for God's work? You're praying for him to deliver and things get worse instead of better. How we re- respond in those moments, where we fix our eyes and where we fix our, our hope are super, super important. In, in the, those. And so as we look at the book of Habakkuk this morning, we're going to try to answer three questions about, about prayer so that we, we do not lose heart. First question we're going, to, we're going to look at is, do we trust God when what we pray for is far, far greater than what we see? Because we all can pray big prayers, right? I love that, that phrase in the book of Ephesians that's, you can, you can do more than ask or imagine or even think. And I'm like, I, I hope so, because I can ask and imagine and think, think a lot. And so, so, how do we respond when it seems like darkness is winning the day? How do we respond um, um, when evil is, is at the front door? Right? And this isn't just theoretical. Right? Right? I mean, there are, there are situations in every person's life in this room, that, that if you had the option, and it's like a, a thorn in the flesh, you could immediately thought, if you would take, take this out, my life would be so much better. It's, it's that kind of situation that the book of Habakkuk is written into. There are th- things in your life that, that just do not make sense. So how do we trust in the, the character and nature of God when what we, what we pray for is much greater than what we actually see? And what we learn from Habakkuk is that there is, there is the picture of rejoicing in the character of who God is apart, apart from our circumstances that actually allows us rest in the midst of our circumstances. We rejoice in the Lord. He's, he basically goes through this long list. He says, though, though there's no battle in the, in the stall, though there's no fruit, fruit vine, I will re- rejoice and I will trust in the Lord, God of, of my salvation. Right? And this is, this is Aryan society. Basically, if it looks like there is no answer and it looks like there is no, no provision, I'm still going to fix my eyes and I'm still going going to place my trust in the character of my God. This is an invitation for us to find rest, not, not primarily in our circumstances, but in the character of, of who our God is. And so this, this book begins with this, with this complaint back at the prophet, and then he comes into contact with a plan of God that's almost, almost unexplainable to him. But God sustains him, and he gives this picture in the middle of the book. And I want to share a couple of verses that kind of, kind of helps us understand what God wants us to latch on, on to. Chapter 2, Chapter verse two. 14, God gives Habakkuk the end of the story. And this is the end of the story for everyone who placed their faith in Jesus. He says, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of glory of the Lord, and waters cover the sea. One of the ways that we can persevere and we can trust God in the midst of difficult, when life doesn't sense, when what we pray for is greater than what we see, is by fixing our eyes on that day when the glory of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. That's the end of the story. But how, how do we actually live in the middle of the story? Because it's the middle of the story that's difficult for us. 
Every well-written story has, you know, a beginning where the characters are introduced and has an as an end where it comes to a climax and a conclusion. But even a Hallmark movie for crowd has a little bit of tension right in the middle. It may only be for 30 seconds, but it's, you know, it's that 30 seconds where you, where you wonder a couple's actually going to be going to make it. Surprise, surprise, surprise. They make it every time, right? That's, that, that's one thing, you know, you know, to see that on a Hallmark movie. It's another thing to see that. Played out on the pages of Scripture, but it's quite another to live live in the middle of the story when it's your life, right? When life stuff doesn't make sense, when evil comes knocking at your door, when you get a phone call that you did not expect. Do we live? And this is maybe one of the most repeated verses in all of the, the New Testament, and it comes from, from this little book, Habakkuk 2, verse 4b. But the righteous shall live by his faith, right? In the middle of the story, you know, know the end of the story. God is the, the author of the story. We begin to live by, by faith. And faith in our circumstances, not faith in what we can see, but faith that's in the, in the character of our God. There's this famous story, the <clears throat> evangelist Moody. He carried around in his pocket a list of 100 people he wanted to see, see come to faith in Jesus Christ. These are friends that he was reaching out to. So by the end, end of his life, 96 of them had, had given their life to Jesus Christ. They followed him. And at his funeral, four more that, that heard this story actually gave it. God answered his prayer that all 100 came to faith. So the point is not, not necessarily that God answered the prayer. But I want you, I want you to about how that played out. Played out, El Moody, right? There was a day when they, when there was a little hundred, and one person came came to faith. There was an, was another day, maybe two or three came to faith, and that was played out over a lifetime, right? Often, oftentimes, like we don't know how the end of the story story is going to be, but faith is what sustains us in the midst of um, just the reality of living in a broken and a fallen world. And it has been not only my personal experience, but it's been my pastoral experience as well. Oftentimes, we pray for deliverance, and it is painfully low. Right? And it's at those, those moments that we need God to reveal himself as the God that sustains us and keeps us. We place faith not, not on our circumstances, but on who God is. The message of the book of Habakkuk is that God's absolutely faithful and trustworthy. That he's able, able to turn evil and work it for good. The reason that we, that we can trust God in the, mid, in the midst of this that do not make sense to us right, right now is that there was a day when God, God himself did not answer the prayer, the prayer of his own son. Aaron referred to it during worship. There was a day that it's like dark darkness was winning. And the sod knelt in the garden of Gethsemane and he said, Not my will, but your will be done. The re- reason that we know that evil will not win the day is, is because Jesus, Jesus Christ endured evil on our behalf so that we know that regardless of whatever we face, we have the end of the story, that the knowledge of the glory of God is going to come to rest on our lives, lives on our city, and in this world. But he endured the silence from heaven so that we know that one we will experience life from him. 
So we can trust God in the midst of life that doesn't make sense and when we pray things that are greater than we see. Now, as we bump up into the story, there's a real issue that arises. And I think this is one of the primary reasons that people give up on prayer. So I want this is, this is a little bit excursus. How do we severe in prayer in a world that's filled with evil and injustice? If you are going to pray, you are immediately going to be, going to be confronted with the reality of evil, evil and injustice. I've seen so many people have their faith shaken to its core or, or downright give up on their, their faith because of this, this issue. The problem of evil. Now, I, I wish I could solve it all for, all for you, but I, I want to give, give you some hands because I think there's some ways that we can, can respond that help, helps us to actually persevere in prayer in a world that's filled with evil and injustice. And, and as I was reading this book by Pete Grigg, the one that this series is based on, How, how, to, how to Pray, A Guide for Normal People, he gives, he gives three categories that help us to think through, through the problem of evil. And this is God's world, right? Oftentimes, and this is the, the plague of li- living in the West and living in a world of affluence, that we can, can insulate ourselves and isolate us from the fact that we live in a Genesis 3, 3 world, right? Although Jesus has come in the flesh, although he, though he is constant sin and death and hell and the grave, we still live in this tension of a world that's still filled with sickness. That's, that's still filled with injustice, that's still filled with, with brokenness, that's still filled with bodies that decay. That is, is the norm in a Genesis 3 world. Now, Jesus came into the world and gave birth to a new kingdom, and bodies are still being renewed. The reality, reality is the mortality rate for fall, fall humanity is 100%, right? Often, oftentimes, we're going to be praying of things that are the consequences of living in a Genesis 3 world. Some, sometimes God's pleased to answer those, those prayers. Sometimes the reality is God said in the Garden of Eden, as soon as you eat, eat this fruit, Adam and Eve's, Eve's disobedience and then our own, our own obedience, you will die, right? All of us will decay, all of us will die. That is, that is a comic consequence of the fall. And if we don't do justice to that, right, right we, can, um, we can lose heart in the midst of if God were doing something strange or something that he didn't say that he was going to do. To. There are real consequences to living in a Genesis 3 world. But, but this is how you respond, right, in, in the midst of God's world. Romans 8 talks about, about creation itself groaning under the weight of sin. In a, if you're experiencing the consequences of living in a Genesis 3 world, what you do is you groan and you long for the redemption of God to come and to bear weight. And God is oftentimes pleased to give us mercy and to give us grace and to help us to persevere. But one category to be familiar with is God's world. The second hint is God's war, right? right? We all refer to this, this. Okay. As she was helping us with worship, read Ephesians 6. There is a real battle going on, right? There is a cosmic war between sin and people and evil. There's a real enemy to our soul that wants to undo our faith. Um, much of the evil and injustice in this world is not just random acts of violence, but it's spiritual evil. 
I mean, I've mean, ever traveled in a foreign country. I mean, you get off and the evil is absolutely tangible and palpable, right? And that's not, be- not because nothing there. It's because there's re- real spirit of darkness at work. You can go around our, our city, and we do off- often drive around our city. There's pockets of spiritual evil. There, there's a real battle. But the same, same that she encouraged us from Ephesians chapter 6, the way that we respond in the midst of God's war is we fight, right? We pick up the shield of faith and the, and the sword of spirit. And often when we're praying about acts of injustice, like I think we're mostly passive in that. Most times we're supposed to be part of the answer, answer things that we're praying about. There actually is this way that when we're praying, praying about the evil that ex- exists in our we can't just stay in our holy huddle and we can't just stay in our rooms and say, oh God, I want you to save the city. I want you to save the city. I want you to, re- to renew the city without actually taking a step towards the, the sea and actually taking a step, step sharing the good news of Jesus. So part of, the, part of that causes us to actually answer to our own prayers. We engage in God's war. But finally, and this, and this is a mystery, we live in God's will. Right? right? It says in Ephesians chapter 1 that God works all things together according, according to the counsel of His will. Romans 8.28 says that He causes all things to work t- together for good for those, those that love Him, him and all according to His purpose. So the, the, the rest that we have is that God's able to, able to take evil and work, work it. And, and, and my wife and I have been talking a lot about the story of Joseph from the Old Testament. Gen- Genesis 37 to 50 is this, this wonderful size of things that mankind meant for, for evil that God uses for good. Habakkuk is, is another study of how God, God turns evil, evil and uses them for good. And so all of this to say, like, like in the midst of the battle, not to lose lose heart. These are this is God's will. This is God's war. This this is God at work in the, in the midst of all these things. He's the one that is our champion. And I think this is helpful. Tim Keller says this. He says he says God always answers your, your prayer in precisely the way that you would want them to be answered if you knew everything that He knew. Right? We have a God, a God that is all all knowing, all loving, and all powerful. He holds, holds the whole world and the universe in his, his nails and hands. Right? He invites us to our questions and our doubt. And we'll never be able to fully reconcile these things. But I, th- but I think there's a real way that we can come together and say, listen, hey, listen we're going to contend to believe and to trust us God. And maybe you may, may be experiencing the consequences of living God's world or this war that's, that's going on or God's will. will. Bear up with one another, and we care for one another, and we go forward. So that's a little bit about how, how you can practically fit in the midst of a world that's filled with evil. Finally, how does God strengthen us through prayer? Chapter 3, verses 18 and 19. These are so helpful. He says, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I take joy, joy in the my salvation God the Lord is my strength. He, he makes my feet like the, the deep. He makes me tread on high places to the choir master with, with string instruments. So there's, there's real and real strength in these verses. It's this picture. It says, God makes, makes my feet like the deer, deer. Right? 
He causes me to tread on high places. I don't know if you've ever seen, seen deer's foot. I think this is, this is a deer that's, that's native, ancient Palestine. But, but basically, this is not a picture of a deer field that's staying stable. stable and This is, I'm going to cause, cause you to be like a deer so that you can tread on your, your high places, right? These are things that you wouldn't, wouldn't normally be able to stand. This is a picture of a deer standing on the side of a mountain. Now, I'm not a hunter at all, but um, that, that, that's probably not normal. But, normal. but the deer is, a, is able to kind of clasp down, down things that would normally be unstable and, and be stable. And, and I think that gives us, gives us a picture of is the sustaining grace of God. He actually gives us strength. One of the ways that we can, can endure, find strength, and this is, if I could get anything across to you this morning, it would be this. Sustained grace is an answer to, to prayer, right? Sustaining grace is an answer to prayer, right? We may be asking and we may be seeking and we may be knocking, but sometimes the answer is God helps you to bear up and stand underneath the weight of the trial. Tri- and that is an answer to prayer. Part of the way that the world wonders at the hope, hope that we have is through His sustaining grace. Grace helps to stand up, stand up under things never could stand up under our own, right? It's not always going to be a rose garden, but God. God is glorified when He strengthens us in the midst of our weakness, where we exchange our weakness for His power, and the world doesn't look at us and say, and say hey, they are awesome, they are doing an amazing job. There's, I want to know the truth of the hope of their, their God. I want to know the God that, God that can call them to stand, stand up and they walk through a miscarriage. I want to know the God that can keep them and stand them, even when it looks like marriage is, fall, is falling apart. I want to know the God that can keep them and sustain them when they're children walking away. That's, that's the answer that the, that the world is looking for. They're not, not looking for quick solution. They want to know that God can get in in the details and that He can sustain. So sustaining grace self is an answer to prayer. Psalm 121 says, says, I will not let your foot be moved. Right? That doesn't mean you won't, you won't go through things, but it does mean that the things that you go through will never crush you. The, the way that we can Trust God, God, and we can yield in prayer is to know He promises us that He will never leave us or forsake us. And then, then verse 18, it says this. It says, He is the God of my salvation. It's a beautiful picture of, of our Christian hope. And this is a challenge for us because we have so much at our disposal. But Christian hope is bringing our future into the present, right? That we're able, able to sin. We do know the end of the story. We do know that, that there is a day coming where the glory of the Lord will swallow up um, Jonesboro and our stories and our lives. That, he, that he's the one going to actually win the day. The day. And Pete Grigg, he shares the story of his wife, Sammy, in this book, How, How to Pray, and I've been following, following about the last 20, 20 years or so. And basically, he, he started this movement called, called 24-7 Prayer. It's going on all around the world. He stepped to cities. He's seen God do thing after thing after thing. Heal people, deliver people, save people. But in the midst, midst of that, his wife developed chronic headaches. And as they investigated the story, um, she's been fighting brain cancer over and over again for the last 20 years. All right. And basically, the thing that sustained him most 
was the fact that God may not answer our prayers right here, right now, now in the way we want, but, but there is a coming when every prayer will be answered by our God. Listen to this quote from Tim Chester. I think it's so, so helpful. He says, he says, prayers that we think of as directed to the present are in fact being stored up to be answered on the final day. Pray for those suffering ill health. We are expressing our longing for the day when there will be no more, no more sickness. When we pray for God to end wars and oppression, we are expressing our longing for the day when, when the kingdom of this world will be in the kingdom of our God and His Christ. When we pray for mercy on those suffering natural disasters, we are expressing our, our longing for the day when creation itself will be made. The prayers we think that have gone on unanswered may in, may in fact be stored up in the, bowl, in the bowls of events held by the 24 elders waiting for a greater fulfillment than we ever anticipated. Many, many prayers are lost there and one day they will determine the ultimate course of history. God, God is storing up, up your prayers. God never forgets one thing that you pray for, right? As the day coming... <laughs> Where the kingdom of our God, God is going to become the kingdom of, of this world. It's going to overthrow all of the evil, evil and the injustice and the suffering and the death. And, and we must remind each other of that hope over and over again. Yeah, God himself will break in and make all things new. So we have this picture of sustaining grace. We have, we have this picture of hope from the future that comes into the present. And, and then um, it would be, be really easy to miss this, this. But this prayer turns into song of an entire community. Look at the end of ver- verse 19. It says, to the, to the choir master with stringed instruments. So Habakkuk gets this revelation from, from God. And it, and it becomes the song and the anthem of a people. So there are going to be days when you cannot sing for yourself. There are going to be days when you cannot pray for yourself. And it's going to be song and the anthem of community that will sustain you during the dark moments of your life. Where there's people that are coming in and they're reaching out to you. And they're holding up your hand. They're reminding mine. And I can look around on this room and I know the history and the story of so many of you, you that in your moments of deepest, darkest, darkest suffering, the people of God were his answer to prayer in the midst of that. Right? And so we have to be, to be very careful as a pe- people, cultivate that sing together, right? Where we sing, part of the reason um, that we sing out loud is not because we think we're the, mo- we're the most musical people on earth, it's because we, we need to remind each other of what's most true. And there's sometimes when, when I, I literally will be, li- be listening to hear other people singing and it lifts my soul and it lifts, lifts my spirit. And it's the way that God's designed community to be, not this optional extra. It's his design of how he, how he sustains us. So the anthem of the community comes in. It sustains us. The ultimate reason that we have hope in the midst of all of these things is that he is our strength, that he is out of our salvation, that he will, he will finish what he started, right? He's not going to leave you or forsake you because, listen, what we're celebrating here in this season of Lent is the fact that Jesus Christ came in the flesh, he went, he went to the cross, he endured all of the evil and soul and spring 
in his own body so that we could have a picture of that, that he, he's all tasted it for you, and he promises to walk in the middle of the fire with you. So we're going to continue to celebrate that morning. We're going to pray, pray, lead us towards the time, towards the table, and we're going to respond. Father, Father, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, is our amen. amen. Thank you that we can entrust you in the midst of the story. Thank you that we know the end, the end of the story. I pray that right, that right now that you help us tangibly to experience life. I pray, pray that right now that you would tangibly help, help experience faith. For those that have had real disappointments in prayer, I pray that you would, you would begin that process of healing, that there would be no sorrow, that heaven can't heal today. I pray that you would help, help us encounter you in all of your goodness, in all of your kindness, in all of your mercy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So this morning we're going to do two things. We're going to come to the table.